My name is Brady. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, and and uh, I, just, I just need to ask a quick question uh, to make sure that I'm amongst, you know, fellow failures. Uh, anyone else in here ever had an argument with someone that at the time seemed very important, but you look back at it and you thought it was kind of silly? Maybe with a friend or a spouse or a child? We, okay, okay, good. Good. Well, then this story's about me and not my friend. Um, <laughs> My wife and I, we were headed out on a trip uh, not too long ago, and it was late the night before, and my wife was packing, which was kind of early for her. She's normally a get up early that morning and pack type of person, because there are, there are two kinds of people in this world. They're the kind of people that pack early and make lists and those kind of things like me, and then there are people that are wrong, right? <laughs> no, not really, but there are, you know, people, people are different, and they interact differently, and that's, that's fun. It's one of the... One, one of the fun things about church and uh, family and friendship. Uh, so she's packing and she's folding everything up really nice and neat and then she is put it into a bag. And when I watch her put it into this bag, that's when I noticed there was a problem. Because this bag, in place of those amazing inventions, I don't know who invented the, uh, the bag wheel, but it's brilliant invention. Uh, in, in place of bag wheels, they had these things called handles where you would, you, would, you would carry the bag with it rather than roll it, right? And here's why that was a problem. Because I, I, I make up scenarios in my mind. I don't know if anyone else is this way, but I make up scenarios in my mind. I have expectations for certain scenarios. And then when things change, it's harder for me to deal with them. So my scenario, here's my scenario. Uh, we, we get up in the morning early, but we're alert and, and we head to the airport, we go to the airport, it's a sunny day, the birds are chirping, some, some maybe some music in the background just as we go, we go to the airport, and, and she and I are both with, with our rolling bags just kind of walking along, sauntering along. I say some, some joke and she actually laughs this time. Uh, the, the security line is really short. We get to our, our gate in perfect time, we get on the plane, nothing goes wrong, okay? Well, I see this bag that does not have rolling wheels on it, and my scenario completely changes, okay? So it's, obviously it's a dreary, dreary day now, right? It's raining, there's no birds, there's no sun shining. We get to the airport and the, the security line is forever long. Uh, you know, they, they make you, they, they take one of us aside for a special check, and then our gate isn't close. It's at the far end of the airport, which by the way, I don't know why they make gates that are close to the airport, because I've never gone to one. Has anyone ever one gone to a gate that's actually close? They're, it's always the last one. I think they pay actors to sit at these other gates to pretend like it. And all the actors have rolling luggage. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they all have rolling luggage. And here's the deal. In my scenario, who's carrying the gigantic heavy bag? Me. Me. And I don't like that. Okay, and so I said something really kind and sweet and generous um, that she obviously took way out of context, and, and we began to fight. No, I probably said something rude uh, because that happens. Uh, it was late, right? Uh, excuses, those are, those are good, I like those. So, so we get into this fight, and it's possible that there were raised voices, maybe a slam door, and it's possible that maybe we started sleeping the night in separate beds. I don't know. That may have happened to my friend, but, but here's the thing. I think back about it and I laugh. How dumb is that? We were arguing about a bag with wheels or not. How silly is that? And yet, at the time, it seemed of the utmost importance. I mean, it was like on the level of national security. It was a big deal to me, and I, I couldn't let it go. Because inside of me, there was an in, internal conflict going on. 
because those are the only kind of conflicts that happen inside of you, internal ones, okay? So that's what was going on inside of me, an internal conflict. I had two sides. One side really desired comfort and ease and the scenario that I'd painted. And that required rolling luggage, right? The other side of me didn't want to be the tool bag husband whose wife is lugging this heavy bag while I'm rolling mine, right? I didn't want to do that. I didn't want anyone to look at me and think, what a jerk, who, who does that? Who doesn't carry the bag for the wife and let her roll the bag? And I was like, I wanna roll bags, so you gotta roll a bag. But that was not what happened. I, I don't really remember what ended up happening, but there was that internal conflict going on inside of me. I had these things that, that, were, that were deeply ingrained in me enough to have a real big fight with my wife about. And what happens is we have these things inside of us and they always come out. And we don't know why until later. Has that ever happened to anyone in here? Now, has that ever spilled out into public? Or Publix? Or, <laughs> or Walmart? Or Target? Or one of the theme parks? Right? You have a fight in public in front of a bunch of people? Right? I, that's never happened to me. But I've seen people fight in public. And, and what do you always think when they were fighting about something? You think... So junior high, right? What? That's so childish. What jerks? Who does that? Right? Not me. I don't ever fight. That's what we think because it, in public, when people fight, we from the outside see the silliness of what they're fighting about, although they don't, and just although I don't when I fight, don't see the silliness of what I fight about. But it looks strange. It looks childish. It comes across childish. Well, you think about a church, okay? A church is a group of people that are all broken. Every single one of us in here is broken. Me, first and foremost, broken. So you have a bunch of people that are broken trying to do community together, trying to do life together. You think there aren't gonna be conflicts within the church? There are going to be. If you haven't experienced one yet, welcome to Mosaic, we have conflicts, okay? There are conflicts that happen. What do we do when there are conflicts within the church, when there's fighting within the church? How do we handle it? How do we deal with it? And how does that reflect on the character of God? How does it display the gospel or not display the gospel? The good news is that this is not the first time this question has been asked. If you've been with us for any stretch of time, you know that we've, we are studying a letter that Paul wrote. Paul was one of the first church planting missionaries and he wrote a letter to a church that he had planted about three or four years earlier in a city that was very self-seeking, very pleasure-seeking, very decadent. It was, not like, uh, it was not unlike modern day Las Vegas, right? The city of Corinth. It was a very uh, debaucherous city, if you will. And Paul decides to plant a church here. Now, there was one thing that was very unique about Corinth. And, well, there were a lot of things that were unique about Corinth, but, but one thing that in particular that, that, that helps us understand what we're going, where we're going today is that Corinth was looked upon by people as this land of opportunity, a little bit like America used to be before we were trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in debt, right? right? The land of opportunity where anyone could, could have all they dreamed of, all that they hoped for, you see, 90 years earlier, Corinth was a city population of zero. And 90 years later, when Paul came, it was a population of 700,000 people, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, arguably the most important city when it came to business and commerce. Back in that day, 
status was everything, okay? There were different levels of status based on, you know, what gender you were, what your, your wealth was, what your reputation was, what your, you know, political affiliation was. There was a number of things that determined determine what your status was. And Corinth was one of the only places where someone of lower status, someone who was looked down upon, someone who was rejected, someone who was poverty-stricken, one of the only places where they had the opportunity through wealth to gain status and gain respect. This was a big deal. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have been poor, where you have been excluded, when you've been looked down upon by other people, but it's a big deal to want to rise up. I mean, I always think like junior high, you know, when you're in one of the, the, the non-it crowds. You, you want so badly to be a part of that and for people to look at you in that way. So you have a city full of people that de- desire so deeply to gain wealth so they can, they can have status, so they can have a great reputation, so they can begin to take care of themselves so they can provide for their family, that can change their family's life, their kid's life, their kid's kid's life. I mean, this was a big deal. And so you have these people with this motivation, and they all enter into the church, not not the whole city, but all these, these people begin to form the church, and they begin to do business with one another. The problem is that they continue with these same internal motivations, and they continue with the same uh, negative business practices, right? They're still cheating and swindling and doing whatever necessary in order to achieve the goal that they have, right? Wealth, success, status. And obviously, when you get swindled or when you swindle someone else, I mean, this doesn't go over real well. Have you ever been in a situation like that? It didn't go over real well. It's not fun to be swindled, right? And so these conflicts arise. And what happens is these people decide that we're going to take these conflicts into the civil courts. And this is where we pick up today. So why don't you grab your Bibles? Uh, We're going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have one of the Mosaic Bibles, page 620. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, page 620, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul is addressing this idea of these conflicts that were going on and, and, and began to overflow into civil suits in the city of Corinth. In verse 1, he says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Paul says, There's two problems going on here. The first one is that you're being foolish. And the second one we'll get to in a second. But you're being foolish, okay? If really what you want is justice, if you really want fair and honest business to go down, if you want your reputation to be restored, if you want what you were cheated out of to be given back to you, you're doing it all wrong. You're going outside into the world where, where I mean, really, the courts are corrupt. I mean, they're influenced by political power. They're influenced by status. They're influenced by wealth. So only certain people can get justice, right? Why in the world would you go to these courts? Because even if they weren't unjust, at best, in the world, they have the wisdom of the world. At best, the wisdom of the world. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. And we talked about how the wisdom of God is so amazing, so beyond, that even God's foolishness is wiser than the wisdom of men, okay? So Paul says, why would you go outside the church when the best they have is the wisdom of this world? Do you not understand the amazing power of the wisdom of God? He says, we in the church, 
We believers of Jesus, the body of Christ, we are gonna be charged with the responsibility along with Jesus to judge the world. We're gonna judge the nations. That's how amazing the wisdom of God is inside of us, okay? When the motivations of the hearts are revealed, like we talked about a few weeks ago, we are gonna judge the nations. Paul says, so why are you taking it outside the church? He goes on. He says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? Angels. If you ever see angels in the Bible, there are are these beings that are so brilliant, so magnificent, that everyone is trying to bow down and worship them, and angels have to stop them and say, no, 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 we're not God. Don't worship us. But they're so dazzled by the angels that they fall down to worship them. And Paul says, we are going to judge the angels. It makes no sense what you're doing, Corinthians. He says, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? I mean, we're going to judge the world and we're going to judge angels on eternal matters. How much more matters pertaining to this life should we be able to decide between? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers. We talked about judgment, right? And, we, and if you remember, we had this, um, this chart where it says that we only do judgment in certain ways, right? We, we, we don't judge those outside the church. And if it's inside the church, we're not judging uh, people's heart motivations, we're just judging the actions, right? And there's a conflict going on between people inside the church, so, so this is not saying that someone from outside the church begins to sue you so you don't show up for court, okay? Just FYI, we're talking about a, an issue that's going on internally within the church and people are bringing that to civil court. And Paul says, first of all, it's crazy that you would even do that because, because if you really want justice, you're not gonna get it there better than you'll get it inside the church. Secondly, he says, you're operating under the wisdom of the world, right? Let's go beyond that, okay? Let's, just, let's get past that because there's something greater at stake here. He says in verse six, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. What is our purpose in this world? To carry the gospel. When we fight, when we squabble, when we call names, when we swindle each other, when we ruin each other's reputation, and then we go out to the world who doesn't know Jesus, and we do the same thing there, what, what does the world think about the church and Jesus and the gospel? It's, it's worthless. It's just the same as the rest of the world. They live the same way. They have the same motivations. They have the same desires. They're just as selfish as we are. Why in the world would I want to go be a part of the church? I can just not be a part of the church and have just as good a life and do the same things, right? I mean, what in the world? Paul is saying, you're representing Jesus so poorly. He goes on, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. I mean, the fact that you're having these squabbles and they've gotten so big that you feel like you have to sue one another, it's already a defeat, right? You're already not operating in the mindset of the gospel. 
You're already not living according to the way that Jesus has demonstrated for us. And then you take it to court before unbelievers and you show them that it's obviously just the same as everywhere else. It's already a defeat before you. And he says, why not rather, why not instead of doing that, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Why not for the for displaying the gospel in, in order to present Jesus and all that he is, wouldn't you rather be defrauded and present him well? Wouldn't you rather be wronged and present him well? And I don't know about you, but if I was a Corinthian at this moment, I would say, what do you mean, why not? I can give you about 15 reasons, why not? The reason I moved here was to gain status, Paul, to provide for my family. What do you mean, why not? It's gonna cost me money. It's gonna ruin my business. They ruined my reputation. That money was for, to put food on the table for my kids. I mean, why not be defrauded? That's why not. It's no fun to be defrauded. It hurts to be wronged. Why would I do that? And Paul says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, if someone wants to slap you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, if someone asks you or makes you carry their pack one mile, this would be a Roman soldier and his, his pack would have been a very heavy pack. If he makes you carry his pack one mile, you voluntarily go two miles. He said, if someone wants to sue you and they sue you for your cloak, give him your tunic also. But Jesus, then I won't have a tunic either. I mean, I mean it sounds, it sounds you know, poetic on the page. You think, oh, that's nice. That's nice. But nobody does that. Why in the world would I do that? It makes no sense. Paul says in Philippians chapter two, do nothing, nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as less important than yourself, as the same amount important as yourself, as more. Regard one another as more important than yourself. That seems impossible. And here's how Paul, here's how he ties this together. He brings out this, this list of, of, of sins, these list of motivations uh, that have worked themselves out into, into a lifestyle of sin in the way that the world lives. And he says this in verse 11, and, and it's, it's so beautiful. He says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Paul is saying is, yes, you used to have those motivations. You used to need to get you know, wealth in order to have status, in order to have reputation. You used to need that. That used to be your motivation. It used to be your goal. It used to be what you had to have. But that's not who you are anymore. He says it in Colossians chapter three. He says, you have died. You've died. 
You've died to that old self, to the flesh, to those old motivations, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That Christ is now our life, our abundance, our fullness. That, that Christ provides for all that we need. First John chapter 2, it says, don't, don't, don't love the things of this world. They're passing away. You see, God created us with certain motivations. He created us with certain desires, and they were good. But sin entered into the world, and it infected our hearts and our minds. And now we have these desires that are, that are twisted, that, that, that are broken, that are no longer the desires, the pure desires that God created in us to have. They're shadows of what is to come in Christ. They're passing away. And Paul says, that's not who you are any longer. You have died to those, and your life now is hidden in Christ in God. And I love how he brings it around in Philippians chapter 2. Why don't you turn there? After he said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Regard one another as more important than yourself. He says this in verse 5. He ha- says, have this mind Chapter two, verse five, have this mind among yourselves, the one he just talked about, no selfishness, others is more important. Have this mind in yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Not not, not which can be yours in Christ Jesus, not which should be yours in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We have died to those old motivations. We've died to those shadows. And now our life is hidden with Christ in God. And because Jesus had this attitude, we now, because we're filled with the spirit of Jesus and we're in Christ in God, we now have this attitude. Even when we don't feel like it, it is the most true thing about us. He says this attitude is yours in Christ Jesus who although he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's talking about Jesus now and what Jesus did. He says Jesus, right, he's God, the God of the universe, right? He was in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, right? Jesus is God in the beginning. When God speaks the world world into being, that's, that's, that's Jesus, the word, okay? All this power, all this authority, he didn't consider it something to be clung to, something as, as a right to maintain. Instead, because of God's great love for us, Jesus didn't cling to his power and his authority and his godness. Instead, he emptied himself of this. His right, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. First Peter says that when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. That Jesus, to display the great love of God, emptied himself of his rights emptied himself, like gave them up to serve humanity. God serving humanity. It's the craziest idea ever thought of, ever conceived, that God would serve humanity. 
And that's what Jesus did. Not only did he empty himself, but he, he, he served and he suffered on our behalf. And Paul says, not only is this the most beautiful example of how we're supposed to live, but it's what we have in Christ because we're filled with his spirit. We are in Christ, in God. We now have this attitude. We've died. And our life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when I think about this, and I think about disputes, and I think about my internal motivations, and I think about the way that I live, my first thought is, okay, great. I, just, I, I need to try harder at this. I haven't been trying hard enough. I need to do more. I just haven't been doing enough. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul says it's not a try harder problem. It's a belief problem. See, see, Paul didn't say, hey, here's the reason. The reason is because you're not trying hard enough. He said, no, the reason is you've died to that. That's not who you are. It doesn't make sense anymore. It's a belief problem inside. Here's what I mean by that. We all operate out of our core beliefs. We all do. All the things that we do are out of a core belief that we have inside. And, and our actions, they reveal what we really truly believe. Not just what we say, but what we actually believe. We'll put this in 2015 English in the form of my life. I don't really believe that Jesus is my rest. And I know this because when I'm exhausted, when I'm tired, when I'm overworked, when I'm frustrated, I, I turn to Netflix and Hulu I turn to TV shows and movies so that I can escape my life and find rest rather than to Jesus. And it reveals that I don't really believe that Jesus is my rest. Otherwise, I would turn to Jesus when I need rest. But I don't. I don't really truly believe that God is my provision because I have to have a bank account with a certain amount safety net and when it goes below that, I freak out and I, it's hard to be generous. It's hard to be giving with my money and my time, it demonstrates that I don't really believe that God is my provision. I don't really believe that my identity is secure in Christ. Otherwise, I wouldn't care what each and every one of you think about me and what you might say to me after I teach or the email that I might get. You know, was I funny enough? Was I convicting enough? Was I uh, compelling enough and interesting enough? Or was everyone frustrated when Renault didn't get up on the stage? Right? If, if, if I really believed that my identity was secure in Christ, it wouldn't matter because he would be my value. I would find my worth and my significance in him. And here's what Paul is saying. Yes, this is the way that you are operating and it betrays the way that you actually believe. So what you need to do is Romans 12, one and two. Be transformed by working harder. Wait a second. Wait a second, someone knows the Bible. That wasn't right. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. That you remind yourself of what is true. You say, hey, these are lies. These motivations are the old motivations. They are the flesh. I have died to those. And now I am fully satisfied and complete in Christ, in God. That's who we are now. It doesn't make sense that we'd operate any other way because it's not who we are anymore. We are no longer people that find our financial security in, in money. Why? Because Jesus didn't. And we have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Now God is our portion and our cup. 
We are no longer people that are directed by our stomach. Why? Because Jesus wasn't directed by his stomach, his physical urges. And we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, by the grace of God, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are no longer people who find our worth and value in our reputation because Jesus didn't. He was counted among thieves. He died the death of a, of a, of a torture. I mean, he died a torturous death of, of a murder, of a traitor. And we have died to our old self and our life is hidden with Christ, the one who did this, who is this in God. Sometimes the gospel confronts our deeply held, deeply ingrained motivations. And we, who are followers of Jesus, we the church, have been set free to choose the gospel. Because our financial security is taken care of by the God who owns everything. Our reputation is the righteousness of Christ. Our identity is servants of the king of kings. Our status is children of the God of the universe. Right? Our provision, our status, our reputation, our value, our significance, our worth, they are hidden with Christ in God in heaven where no moth or rust can destroy and no thief can break in and steal. All of our needs have been met fully in Christ in God so we are set free to say no to the flesh to say, no, I have died to the flesh. I have died to those motivations. I have died to those desires and my needs are fully met in Christ in God. And not only were we set free to say no to all of that, but we are set free to say yes to the most significant thing any one of us will ever be a part of. Carrying the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God loves you and has died for you so that you can have relationship with him, we get to carry that message to a world that's in desperate need of hope. We get to be a part of affecting people's lives for eternity. And we are set free to say yes to carrying the gospel because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. Do you see that? We now can joyfully say, why not rather be defrauded? If being defrauded glorifies God and displays the gospel to the world, then bring on the defrauding. If suffering wrong glorifies God and displays the gospel, then I will suffer wrong because my needs are already met fully in Christ and God and I want to carry the gospel Here's the thing, we have these deeply ingrained beliefs and what we have got to do is be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I saw a preview the other day for a movie uh, called War Room. If you've seen the preview, I think the movie's actually out. You're welcome to see it. I haven't seen it yet. I can't give it my recommendation. But there, I thought it was a little cheesy at first, but I, but I saw what happened. This, this, this lady has this closet that she calls her war room. And I thought, this is strange. But what is pasted all the walls are prayers and scriptures and, and she calls it her war room because this life is a battle. We, we are battling against the old self. We're battling against the flesh. We're battling against the whispers of the enemy that wants to pull us into this world. 
And we get the opportunity to daily, continually, hour by hour, moment by moment, remind ourselves of the truth that God is my satisfaction. God is my provision. God is my rest. God is my status, secure in Christ and God in heaven. So I'm set free to say no and set free to say yes. And I can begin being utilized for the kingdom of God, for his glory. When we have conflicts with one another inside the church, what we do, just like we talked about a few weeks ago, if someone has a, has a conflict with you, if someone has offended you, what do you do first? You go to that person and you have a conversation. And if it doesn't go well, then you get a third party and not someone who hates them also, right? <laughs> but someone who loves them just like they love you, who wants to honor God someone inside the church who has the wisdom of God and you allow them into the situation to arbitrate and say, hey, here's what I see, what's going on? See, this is how we operate inside the church. It should never get to the point of suing. We should never sue one another because that's not how we're called and commanded to handle conflict. That doesn't reflect the gospel. Now, this is inside the church. If someone sues you from outside the church. It doesn't mean don't show up to court. It doesn't mean don't go get a lawyer, okay? Just, just to be clear, that, clear, this is, the context of this is inside the church, we shouldn't go suing one another. We should allow the church into it so that we can glorify God because what we need more than anything is not money or reputation. It's being useful for the gospel. That's what we need. And our needs are fully met in Christ and God, secure in Christ and God. And so we are actually able to say, I'll be defrauded for the gospel. That's how Paul, who had everything he wanted, could now suffer great loss and say, I counted all loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things and counted as rubbish, as filth, that I may gain Christ. If we truly see Christ in all that he is, we would know how satisfied we should be in his presence. The key is not to work harder. It's to remind ourselves of the truth so that God will change our internal core beliefs so that we will naturally live out the gospel because we have right belief. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, what a beautiful God you are. What an amazing God you are that you love even us, that you demonstrated through your son Jesus coming to earth, being a human, dying on a cross, what the gospel looks like in the flesh. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength Give us the wisdom to know that we have died to that old life and now our life, our needs are fully met in Christ and God. And I pray that you would set us free to choose the gospel even in the face of great hardship, difficulty, persecution, great personal loss to ourselves. Lord, give us the strength to choose the gospel so that we might affect lives for eternity inviting them into your family. Thank you for this great honor. We need you. We can't do it on our own. So we cry out in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.